Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. My guest today is Yosef Ferris. Head coach at Justin Garza High School in Fresno, California, and also the secondary coach. Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Coach. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate you. So before we get started, usually we get right into questions. You had a really exciting experience this fall, summer. I don't know. Yeah, it would be summer. It was late July, right? Late July, early August. It still would be the summer. But you had a pretty interesting yeah. experience. Why don't you tell the listeners about that? Yeah, so I uh, I got selected as one of the Bill Walsh Minority Internships for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, they invited me to come out there for three weeks of their training camp, and uh, I got to go with them to uh, their first preseason game against Detroit uh, in Detroit. Um, and it was just an amazing experience. I was very blessed. Uh, it was, it was um, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, um, and soaked up a lot of knowledge from Dean Pease and Matt Pease and John Hoke and, and all those guys over there. And it was just an amazing opportunity. Yeah. you got, uh, you got a really, really good uh, shot there and get to learn from some really good guys. Everybody knows how I feel about Dean uh, Pease and especially Matt, who's become a good friend over the years, who's the uh, inside linebackers assistant there. Um, I actually, and I am in no way taking credit for this in any stretch of the imagination because you, you worked your ass off. You'd already applied. You'd made it to the final round of the interviews. But I, I think it was you told me about what was happening. I want to say on draft day. And yes, I was I like, I, I was like, I'm going to text Dean and Matt. And I don't know if you said it or I thought it. I don't know. I was like, well, it's draft day, and I don't want to bother him. But it was it was around like 5 or 6 o'clock, so it was like before it really was getting going. And I think I just talked to Matt, and I was asking him about the draft or somebody about the draft, and like they were just kind of hanging out. Or it was known to me on some level that they were just kind of hanging out, waiting to see what happened until it really got started. Like they're not they're not like dealing on the phones or anything, right? They They – Ask for their input or whatever, but they're just kind of hanging out. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. So I texted Matt and Dean the day of the draft and was like, hey, Yosef's one of the great guys in football, one of the best people I've met. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people that know football, but not everybody's that knows football is a great guy, just being honest. And and if you're looking for great guys and, and you know, building a staff, having somebody that you can get along with and would be cool and wouldn't be bugging people for jobs every 30 seconds or trying to like steal shit or whatever, you know, and just a great yeah, guy to hang out that. with. That's Yosef. And so they, I guess went down and checked with whomever and, you know, put the word in and they had already, they were already like, we love this guy. Thanks. Thanks for the info, but we, we love this guy. And so, I think he found out like a week or two I, later. I don't remember exactly how it all folded. 
Yeah, no, I I appreciate you saying that, but yeah, they so they did the, the they did the um, the last round of interviews on the first day of the draft because again, like you said, they're they're sitting around, they're not doing too much. Uh, it was a Zoom interview, and I had to meet with uh, Marquise Williams, special teams coordinator Sarah Hogan, who's uh, uh, assistant uh, to the head coach Arthur Smith, and um, a couple other coaches. And I had to inst- I had to put this presentation together and inst- and just not even install, but just talk about a a schematic or, or just something that I felt like I, I, I had to show myself teaching. And um, afterwards, cause I remember you had told, you had told me and you had put out there that you had, you had installed something or you went over something with a, an NFL team and it was nerve wracking and it was nerve wracking for me to have to do that. And so it's a very nervous feeling to see those guys staring at you and you're talking ball. Yeah, uh, and I called and I called you, and I was like, I know exactly what you went through. I just installed Palms coverage with the Falcons, and you, you're like, what? Call me. That's right. That's right. You had done the interview that morning, and yeah. and you were like, because I done I done some stuff for some NFL teams, and I I I was it was nerve wracking for me, and they wanted to talk like not that they didn't want to talk to you, but they had asked me to to put together a presentation for them. Like I was kind of the I, I don't know how you'd want to say it but i i kind of had the room like they were was at or asking for my help um right. but i was like shit and i was nervous i can't imagine what it would be like if i was interviewing for a job right what i'm saying is if i was an idiot in the presentation it didn't matter because they asked for my help i gave it to them and went about my day i wasn't like relying on their reaction There's to some, get a job yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, that that was that was great though. That was a great experience, and and you know the Falcons is a first class organization. All those people there are great people. You know, you 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 mentioned, you know, uh, thank you for saying that. But you know, you said that I'm a great person. Well, I was around a bunch of people that I thought were great. That knew football and were great people. No egos at all in that whole organization, and that was a breath of fresh air actually to see uh, how 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 genuine they are as human beings. Yeah, you hear all these horror stories and, you know, especially with guys that have had so much experiences, you know, Dean, I've been around a lot of guys who are not always the nicest and can be dicks and they have no reason to be dicks. Like they're, they haven't won shit. They haven't done anything. They're, they've been in the game for not that long. So if anybody had the right to be a dick, it'd be a guy like Dean Pease, right? Like he's done it all. He's one of the only one of two coordinators of one a Super Bowl with multiple teams as the defensive coordinator with, and that was with the Patriots and the Ravens. Yeah. And, um, you know, he had every right to be that kind of guy, but he was like the nicest guy. So it's like, well, if he can be nice, why can't everyone be nice? I agree. You know, and, and even like John Hoke, who's the DB coach, who's Brady Hoke's brother, you know, he was, he, he came up to me and, and, and I was just like, you know, it's just amazing how you you don't have a you're, you don't have a big ego, coach. You're just a genuine nice guy, and and um, he understood he understood that there's some guys out there that do have a, a big ego and, and act a certain way. And he's just the people that Arthur Smith put in that building. They're all great human beings. And Dean Pease is he loves high school football coaches. Let me tell you that right now. You know yeah. he, the, what he talks about on his um, interviews or his uh, press conferences. Uh, when he found out I had been coaching for 20 years and I paid my dues and, and whatnot, it was just like, that's it. That was the door open, and, and he was one of the nicest people ever. 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely have a different path than probably a lot of the guys that got that internship. And I know, I mean, I know some of the guys that have gotten it and that have, you know, come right out of the league or been a couple years away and, and they've earned it. Everybody's earned it on their own. But I'm sure there's a guy like Dean Pease, who I believe started out as a high school football coach. His son yes, was coaching high did. school. He was with the Titans and then Dean retired and he decided to coach, I don't know, go back to, Ohio, and I think coached his alma mater. Oh, he went to Colorado. Colorado. He went back to Colorado. And yeah. then he was in Ohio because the year between the Titans and the Falcons, that's when I was talking to him. That's when I kind of met Matt, so to speak. And he Ooh. was in Ohio at his, at his alma mater. I think it was his alma mater. And we actually, he started teaching me some of the defense during his free periods. Um, you know, the, obviously Arthur Smith had hired him. I was fired up. But yeah, they, they, uh, just a lot of respect for those guys. And, you know, I've been around some of the guys that there have been people that have been Dean's contemporaries that haven't done shit compared to him that are dicks. I'm just being, I'm just going to be frank about it. Cause I don't really care. You're not saying it. I'm saying it. And it's like, dude, if Dean can be cool, you can be cool. You know, same thing with Wade yeah. Phillips. I mean, great guys, great human beings. Um, and I just wish everybody could be like them. Uh, when it comes to dealing with guys like you and like me who started off at a lower level and we're just trying to gain knowledge. And I know, listen, I know you can't be, you can't be friends with everybody. You can't, you can't take time out of your day for everyone that asks a question. Otherwise you get nothing done, but. But you, but you can be a good human being. And those, those guys are great human beings. That That's 100%. 100% fact. Absolutely. Every single person on that, every single person on the defensive staff and the non-offensive staff, every person in that organization, even Terry Fontenot, who I got to meet, you know, great person, all great people. Did you get to meet the owner? I, I didn't, I said hi to the owner when we were eating, uh, Arthur Blanks. I did get to meet Rich McKay. I get to, I did a sit down meeting with Rich McKay. who's a great guy. That's awesome. Um, it was just a great, a great experience. I, I, I encourage a lot of listeners to try to apply for that Bill Walsh internship and, and see what comes of it. You know, shoot your shot. How can people go about doing that? So there's a, there's a website. Uh, it's on the NFL. It's the Bill Walsh internship. Uh, and I think it opens up in, in March. And it goes from uh, applications are accepted from March to June. And then you have to do like a little YouTube video or, or something, um, kind of just introducing yourself, and then you get to send it to however many teams you want. Um, and then that's kind of how you go about doing that. Um, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing opportunity, you know. And when you get selected, there's a sense of pride about it because there's only four people selected for each individual session. So they have a rookie mini camp internship. They have a OTA internship and then they have the training camp internship, which I did, which was uh, three weeks long, um, which was really cool. That's awesome, man. I love hearing these stories. You also have another thing that's unique in the fact that you are the head coach of a brand new school named after a uh, Valley legend coach, Justin Garza. I believe that open Last year, uh, the 21-22 school year? Yes. Yes. No, no. Last year was his first year. And you are now, so last year you played JV football, and now you're playing varsity football? Uh, last year we played freshman football. 
freshman football. And this year we're and this year we're playing varsity football. So we just skipped JV and went right into right into the <laughs> right into the Lions den. And you're playing in a pretty competitive league with um, players that are mostly sophomores and a few juniors, no seniors, correct? Correct. Yeah. So we're playing with a very young football team in a very competitive league, very competitive to when you were out there to the track, um, you know, with a private school that's a powerhouse right now uh, with two traditional powers um, and, you know, a, a rough and tough country team that, uh, that you know, really can compete for a championship um, in any given year in this section at either Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, which are the top divisions in, in California. Um, I know it's different other places, but compared to like 6A, 5A out, out, out east. And Pretty much everywhere, but <laughs> California. Yeah, California is different, yeah. I enjoy telling people about the California playoffs. Like, I don't believe the Valley's not like this, but the Bay Area has an open division. So they put the top eight teams, regardless of school size, in the first division. And then division one is actually like the second division. So then it goes by school size because it's so private, school heavy. It's changed since you've left. It's changed since you left. They have the open division now. So they, they do the first eight, the top eight teams, regardless, are going in that top division. Really, and then it kind of sprinkles down. Yeah, so it's made its way to the Central Valley. Gotcha. Yeah, that was the thing. I, you know, I would tell people. Yeah, you know, when I was at Sarah, we had, and we were private school, but you know, we had eight hundred boys, but we we could play schools. There's a school with I don't want to say any names. I don't want to talk shit about a school, but schools with twenty five hundred to three thousand to five thousand people, we would have d- destroyed public schools. And so when I tell people about the system, they're just like, what? That you play, you play in regional divisions and then it goes by school size when you get to the playoffs, but not really. But anyway, so I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of a little different than we usually talk about on this pod, but we're in season. So I'm going to kind of just kind of talk on some things, you know, taking over a new program is one thing, but starting a program from scratch, you were hired a year before the school even opened. Am I correct there? Yeah, I was hired during the COVID year. And so and you so, started um, this thing going freshman, then then up to varsity with sophomores and juniors. Which how do you get the juniors if you only have a sophomore class? Or did they import juniors over from the other school? So they so they drew the lines and then they're you know the, the juniors that were or the sophomores at the time when the school opened that were within our boundaries came over to us. Um, but they were kids that weren't playing football at the other school or kind of fell through the cracks. And, um, you know, they just, they just went to their home school. And so, uh, so we just, you know, we, we put out social media posts and, and really tried to, you know, cause there was no, there was no on-site schooling going on at the time. It was all online. And so we were just trying to find ways to get a hold of these kids and, and get their numbers and tell them when we were going to start spring ball. And, and um, you know, we had about, I think, 11 sophomores, you know, that came out. Wow. Um, and then the rest were freshmen. That's so crazy. What are some of the things, I mean, just, you know, I know this is a Q&A episode, but just to kind of 
talk about this. What are some of the things that have you've had to deal with being a new program that you didn't anticipate going forward that's unique to this situation? Well, there's there's quite a bit. And I, uh, I thought about just writing, I don't know, a, a, a blog on it or even a book and, and selling it and, and not selling it, but just giving it, I don't care, just giving it out, just getting my thoughts out because there's so much that goes into opening a brand new school. Uh, you know, just starting the booster club, uh, going through all that, getting the tax ID number, getting getting that approved by uh, the, uh, the the school board, um, you know, having to get a bank account, just, for, just, just that whole process of getting the booster club up and running was at least a month, month and a half process uh, with so much red tape in our district. And I know other districts are different, but there was just so much red tape just going into that, you know, finding booster club uh, parents that want to help out, um, getting the kids, on campus and, and, and getting them acclimated to uh, what we wanted to run was a varsity football program, even though they were freshmen. Um, you know, the school was half built. We didn't even have a weight room to start. So we had to work out at another facility uh, and getting those kids transportation there and then transportation back to the school. Um, and then just, you don't have tradition, you know, you don't have tradition to fall back on. You don't have tradition to, to point at. And so, developing a culture with these kids uh, and developing a standard, um, you know, from day one, uh, it was, you know, a daily grind, a daily battle. Um, and then just getting the administration, because they're all new administration on board with how do you run a, an elite level football program or an elite level sports program and just getting them clued in on, you know, zero period PE, uh, athletic PE, uh, and, and getting all those kids in the same class. Um, so much, there's just so much that goes into it that I would love to hear if anybody else is out there started a brand new program, contact me and let's trade war stories. Cause there's a lot that goes into it. Our, our school still isn't fully built. That's so wild. I, I can't imagine doing that. Just, just crazy doing it from scratch. It is a crazy adventure. It is a crazy adventure. And uh, it's one that um, that requires a lot of patience. I keep saying this analogy, and I don't know if people get it, but it's like, uh, it's like the scene in Jurassic Park where, where Samuel L. Jackson is like, look, we got all the problems of a major zoo and a major theme park, you know? So we got all the problems of your regular football program, and we got all the problems of building and opening need a brand new school that go with it you know you know you don't think about it but you know there's only so many kids on campus and it's built you know so there's only so many full-time positions to go around so that means that you know as a football coach you're going to have to take on regular p a lot more regular p classes than you would normally um and and you, you can't get as many guys hired on as you want uh because of the FTEs and all those things. And so you just kinda have to do the waiting game each year, just kind of building on and on and on because, you know, the school gets money on how many kids are enrolled and well you don't have that many kids enrolled. And then you're 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 eventually going to be a big school, but you're a small school at this point. And so you have to you have to really encourage sharing athletes. You know, your your best athletes are going to play multiple sports and so you have to deal with you know, splitting that time. And as the football coach, you want to, you want to be, um, you know, at 
the forefront of that, you want to encourage that because you want the school to thrive. And so you have to be able to share best athletes. Uh, I got that from Tim Simons because Tim, you know, Tim, he was legendary coach yeah. at Clovis High and open, open Clovis North. That was one of the things he had told me uh, in opening a brand new school. Is, you know, as the football coach, you really got to, you really got to be supportive of the other programs and really share, really support sharing your athletes. Cause you're a small school at this point, you know, you're not, you're going to be a big school, but when you first open, you're a small school and you have to operate as such. The good news is if you're successful there, they'll name everything after you. <laughs> yes, that is true. You have to, you have to drive on Joseph Ferris Parkway to get to Joseph Ferris stadium to play in Joseph Ferris field. Who else are they going to name it yeah. after? Doc Buchanan? No, that's not even your school district. No, no, but, but that would be nice. You know, that would be nice. I mean, they named the school. That shows you how much the school district is supportive football. They named the school after a legendary football coach in the area, you know? So that's true. Talk, talk a little bit about coach Garza. Cause I, I think some people might, cause coach Garza, he was an, he was a young man when he passed, right? He was, uh, he's probably about my age. So Justin Garza was a, uh, he was a coach like probably all you coaches are listening to now. You know, he's the guy that, you know, you, you follow on Twitter. He was there before, you know, there. And, you know, Bass, he's, he's, he's cut from the same cloth as, as guys that you you and I, you know, try to conversate with. He was ahead of his time, a hard worker, loved to, loved to learn the game of football, was a great human being. I was a young football coach just starting out and got to meet him, and, and he would talk ball with me in the area. Um and, you know, unfortunately, he had lymphoma cancer. He beat it not once but twice, and then it came back the third time, and it, uh, he just couldn't beat it that third time. But he, he sparked something in this community when that happened, and, and it seemed like every team was doing a fundraiser or uh, uh, something for, for um, cancer research at their games. And, and the whole community, you know, not just Central where he coached, um, but you know, all the schools around this area really, really came together for coach Garson because he was such a good person. He was such a good human being. Uh, and, and we all got behind this cause for him. And he just, he just left a positive impact on everybody he touched. You know, we talked about Dean Pease and those guys being great human beings. Justin Garza was a great human being. And the fact they named the school after him, um, tells you everything you need to know about that guy. That is true. That is pretty impressive to open a brand new school and name it after a coach who wasn't even that old when they passed. Right. Um, I, uh, I, I fully support that. And I heard, I mean, I was only in the area, really. I was there for two years, two seasons, two school years, but really I was there from June of 2018. And then for all intents and purposes, I came back December, 2019 to, for my mom. So I was there for like a year and a half. And I can't tell you how many stories I heard about him. And and he wasn't even in, I mean, he was in our league, but he wasn't in the Clovis schools. So Clovis schools was five schools. And then we had central in our league and just everybody had, I, I, I honestly didn't know that he had passed. Everybody was just talking about this amazing Justin Garza. And one day I was like, where does this guy coach? Everybody's talking about him. And everybody just kind of looked at me like I was being a jerk. And I'm like, wait, what? No, what? I'm serious. And then they all kind of realized Oh shit, he's not from here. He doesn't know about this guy. And they explained yeah. and I was so so you know who he was and everything. You know, just seeing the school named after him is incredible. 
that he was a guy like, you know, he had a lot of great football players at Central. You obviously know that school. Now there's a lot of great athletes, but, you know, he had Makai Quick, um, Atari Bird. And so the Stoops brothers would come out to Fresno a lot because those guys ended up going to Oklahoma. And, um, and a lot of people were trying to come out and recruit him. And, and what Justin did for the football community is he said, hey, look, if you guys are going to come all the way out here, we're going to throw on a coaching clinic. And he had, he had Stoops, Bob and Mark Stoops. He had um, Sonny Dykes. Um, he, had, he had so many college coaches. He had Ed Orjan was out here, uh, Tosh Lepoe. Uh, that's kind of where I met those guys. And um, they all came out here. And they were recruiting these kids, but he said, hey, you're going to give back to the coaching community. And they threw this huge coaching clinic out here. And it hasn't been done since, but Justin, Justin was the one who kind of orchestrated that stuff. And, 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 and that was just the kind of guy he was. It's like, I'm going to have all these coaches come out here to look at these kids, but we're going to have a coaching clinic and we're going to give back to the coaching community. He didn't just keep it for himself. And that, that right there says a lot about, about the man. Well, I'd rather it be named after him than that creep Doc Buchanan. I know it's going to piss a lot of people off, but I worked in Clovis Unified. There was a guy named Doc Buchanan who started the school district. And I'm kidding about the creep comment. Apparently, he was a really nice guy. A little outdated with some of the ideas, but it was the 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever he was around. But everything was Doc Buchanan, and they had this giant... I'm sure you've heard about it. They built the new school building, and they had a giant picture of him in there. And it looked like he was given the old uh, Heil Hitler salute. And they posted that picture of him. I know he wasn't, but it looked he had his hand like up, but out. And I was like, guys, you have 10,000 photos of this man. Why would you use this photo? And so we always got a good chuckle out of that. Like whoever had to put, whoever chose that picture did not like him. Um, but uh for some reason, probably sick of hearing about him or whatever, and chose that picture. I was always confused about it, but yeah, you know, um, you know me. I don't have a lot of love lost from that area, um, based on my experience, and I'll leave it at that. But uh, let's get to the Q and A portion of the show. <laughs> I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive, out of the box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top tier defense. Coming in early 2025, the system is a one stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint tight, bare, stack, three high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches, narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards 
for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the Coach Pad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the Coach Pad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is thecoachpad.com. Let's take the first question. The first question comes from Mike Bianco, D-line coach at Ketchum High School in Wappinger Falls, New York. His question is, how are you handling offenses that use a sugar huddle? How do you set the front, communicate calls, et cetera? You want to take that one first? Yeah, so, um, you know, when you get a lot of sugar huddles, you're going to have to probably play right side, left side, um, really have a balanced front, um, maybe call the front wherever you're going to close the defense so you can kind of dictate where the defense is going to be closed and then the match coverage to that. Um, and, and then just, you know, really practice getting set up, getting set up fast. Um, you know, that's kind of what we do. We don't see a ton of sugar huddle out here, but when we do, we always want to play sides, right side, left side, or we want to make calls where we've closed the defense already. Uh, as you know, uh, Chris, like, lock laser where we're setting it already to where we're going to go right or left. And, and uh, we're going to match the coverages behind it. Yeah. We, uh, we try to go field and boundary most of the time or go left and right in the middle of the field. And we were a split field defense. So we were able to get, you know, player base calls and match the formation pretty quickly. And we trained how we did that or rather we, that's how we trained to do that sort of thing. So we were, we were pretty adept at that, but we were trying to get, tips and tells based on the sugar huddle. Mm-hmm. You know, there were guys like um, Randy Blankenship who would hide the tight end and put him in the back. Uh, shout out to Randy. So he couldn't figure out where he was in the huddle, but try to figure out if there was any tells, if anybody would leave early, try to get as much info as you could, but you're basically going to have to go field boundary or left and right. And then one of the things that we would do is if we wanted to play like an overfront, put the three to the tight end, and we had balanced personnel, meaning our ends could both hold up to a tight end and both play three technique and G. Is we would go field alignment, but then we'd slide our front if we if we could slide our front to wherever that tight end is. Um, you know, but also when you see a team that sugar huddles, is one of the things you have to look at is are they sugar huddling all the time, or is it a situation where they'll only do it like Auburn on certain plays and then or certain personnel groups? So for example, Auburn did it. And the byproduct of it was that Alabama would have these really long calls in 21 personnel. So Gus would get into sugar huddle in 21 and then come out and they would be trying to make all these different calls. So that's one thing that uh, you have to kind of figure out why they're doing it and what they're doing it out of and try to match that. So keep the alignment simple and then try to overplay the formation based on how they come up if you have the time to do that. All right. The next question is from Brad Frilling, defensive coordinator from Fort Laramie High School. His, oh, this is a great Twitter handle. His Twitter handle is at Frill, F-R-I-L-L underscore the thrill. That's fantastic. His question is, what are some ways you would defend buck sweep and pin pull out of the gun? 21 personnel, tight end wing, and 20 personnel. Base out of a blitzing 3-4 defense. So I'm going to let Yosef take this question first, but I'm going to say this. 
to me, they're not the same play. Now, if you're, I don't know if you're lumping them together or if that's an or question, but I, and I'm not saying that you are Brad, but some people lump this play together and they are two different plays. One is trying to kick out and lead through basically create, you know, the old um, Vince Lombardi, create a seal here and create a seal there and run the ball in the alley. The other one's trying to get to the edge. It can cut up, but they're trying to pin you inside, right? They're trying to pull and, and reach you to get to the outside. And then if you're super wide, they'll kick you out. But Buck Sweep to me is a very D-gap heavy play. It's It does not want to go outside. So I just want to start there and then I'll, I'll let Yosef take it and then I'll kind of weigh back in on it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, there are two different plays, like you said. Uh, the buck sweep is a is a wing T play, and it's um it's an alley cutback play, and they're really trying to hit the alley, or they're trying to get the over pursuit and really hit the cutback. Whereas the pin and pull that you're seeing out of the, the spread is more of a an outside zone variation. Um, I would say is where they're pulling that front side guard, or they're just pinning they're pinning the first outside shade and getting the guard outside, and they're they're trying to get. Uh, blocking there and then they're pulling the backside guard and they're really trying to fit up where the mic is. Um, so, I mean, how I would handle it is if I was seeing that and they're offset, you know, first of all, if it's the buck sweep, you know, we're running our wing T defense. We're going to anchor down on the guy over the wing. We're going to really near arm that front side guard uh, kicking out. And then we're going to have our, our linebackers keen guards and, and really flowing um, downhill, trying to it, trying to get into that alley and into that cutback, um, as well as uh, D-lineman playing down the line, trying to take away the, the cutback on the buck sweep. Whereas if, you know, if it's the, the pin and pull, you know, we're going to play our rules and we're going to cross face on any type of pull outside if we're a four-eye technique so we can match numbers and still be gap sound. If we're blitzing out of it, you know, one thing that we always tried to do out of a wing T is if we were blitzing and moving is we, we wanted to slant to the wing if they were in the true wing T formation, but if they're in gun and they got two wings and we wanted to slant to motion and try to get into the hip pockets of those pullers. Um, and then the same thing of uh, the same thing out of like a gun, a 20 personnel wing set where they're trying to run the pin and pull. I would just start, I would try to build the front to get to some type of under front where we're moving post snap and I would blitz to the same side as the running back to try to get those guys into the hip pocket of the pin and pull um, and trying to trying to uh, create, you know, um, different eye movement for the O-linemen as well as trying to slant and get in the gaps and trying to beat the one-on-one blocks and the one-on-one angle blocks. Um, but that's how I would handle out of a 3-4 blitzing defense. Uh, you know, we don't blitz a ton out of the three, four over more base. Uh, we do have some blitzes and whatnot. Uh, but I would try to build an under front post snap against both of those, both of those concepts. Basically the same exact answer. If you're playing a three, four odd spacing, get to under, make them have to reach the, the nose play side. Um, and then make them back, uh, block back to a three or four eye away. However, you're going to do it. I like the under, especially if you have a tight end because it blocks your path of them just going up to the next level. They do have the angle to do it. If you're playing against a tight end, you need to play a five and a nine or a four and a nine. If your guy's good enough and he can take both guys, the tackle and the tight end. 
What you don't want to do, in my opinion, is get into a tight front where you have a four eye, and then that tight end has a kill shot on your play side backer. So that, to me, is a no-no. Uh, if you're talking about 20 personnel where the guy's a sniffer, to me, I don't really think it matters as much if you play over or under. Not that it... Let me Let me take a step back. You can play the under... But now if that guy is in the backfield and you don't have a guy to, if he was, if it was a slot where he was on the ball or off the ball, but outside the tackle rather, that's fine. But if he's tucked in there playing over front, spill the shit out of it, get that DN tight in there. When that tackle blocks down, you go in there and you jack it up and the backs away. If they're running buck sweep, pin pull, whichever one. So this is where you can kind of group the plays together. You take out the first pull or get up field. Now the overhang away, if you're in split safety, he can play the fit, and then your mic is unblocked or should be unblocked if your end takes the people out. But I, I definitely think with the tight end wing, um, you have to you have to get in some sort of um, under or over. I would prefer the under even as an overfront guy, and it really has to do with, if you play an overfront, they can down your three with the tackle and pull the guard easily. If you play a shade or a G, yeah. that's much harder now. You have to get a tackle all the way down on a shade or a G or reach play side. And how I would do it is just spitballing here. If they're going to try and reach you play side, I would play a G. So it's a wider, it's a wider angle for that guy. If they're mm-hmm. trying to down block you with the tackle, I would play a shade. So he has to go further. Just my thoughts. No, I, I agree with that. And, and, you know, one of the biggest things too, I, I think a lot of young DCs uh, kind of fall in when they're playing a three, four and whatnot, and they're staying too high. But when they add that H back and they add that tight end, they're adding extra gaps. So during 20 personnel, and they add that H gap, you know, that's seven gaps. You got to have seven guys defending that. And out of a base three four, you know, you, 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 if you're detached for receivers and whatnot, they're taking a guy out of there that you're going to have to add maybe a safety or, or somebody into the run fit just to add numbers. And if they're pulling those guards, just make sure that you're either crossing face or you're doing some something to add numbers to the other side of the midline uh, and, and really being focused on that. 100%. And if you're doing that, like if you're playing it over front, you got to play the back and the pulls. You got to get the nose across face. I would, I would. Mm-hmm. So, so if I was playing it over front, I would slant, which now you're just getting into an under front with bigger people to the strong side. And then one thing that coach mentioned in passing is we would slant and bring a guy off the backside. So he's talking about bringing, you were talking about bringing an inside backer, right? In the A gap and chasing it down, chasing it down, right? No, I was outside backer. I'm so, sorry, I misunderstood. So slanting, slanting to an, yeah, slanting to an under front and bringing that outside backer to either motion or just offset wing. I like that too because you set the trap. Because and I've said this a million times. I'll say it again: is people talk about like a four down equals touchdown, and oh, we have the angles we want. Yeah, you have the angles if you want, but you're setting traps. If this yeah. is what you do, that's what we did. We were a movement four down team. Didn't matter what we were doing. So that was in our wheelhouse. If we were like a Tosh Lapoy, who you mentioned earlier, you know, Pete Jenkins strike and with your hips and try to play a gap and do all that, then no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that would not be my answer. Then I would just get an under and play gaps. You know what I mean? So 
Mm-hmm. Depends on what you do. I know you're a three, four defense, but that's the beauty about the three, four is, you know, you get in those tight ends wing situations, you play an over front and your four eye or your four weak becomes your nose and your outside backer becomes your five technique. And then you, your nose becomes your three and your four strong becomes your nine. You just slide everything all the way over. So those are my thoughts. Those are coaches thoughts. So we will move on. This next one's not really a question. It's a shout out from Ty Gower. He just wanted to say hello. He said, don't have a question. Just a big shout out to coach Ferris. Absolute stud of a coach and even better man. See, I told everybody you learn about, about people after you meet someone for the first time, met this dude for the first time in 2017 at the Reno Glacier. Great clinic. I've kept in touch since then. Love watching his success. Yeah. I second that. So Ty didn't have a question, but he just wanted to say hello. And uh, so I wanted to pass along that message. I appreciate that time, man. He's a stud, too. Love talking ball with that guy. He's very sharp. Very sharp. Taught me a lot in that Reno clinic. Yeah, great guy. Very good guy. Uh, The next actual question is from Dan Kurth, who's the linebackers coach for the IC Rams in Columbus, Ohio. His Twitter handle is at Daniel Kurth. Also, Ty's Twitter handle is at Coach Gower, G-O-W-E-R. His question's a little long. Because I and I do say this, if you're going to submit a question and there's details to the question, please submit them. So we'll go on a little journey here, but the, it's a good question. Dan says, I coach a combined seventh and eighth grade team, so this question might be a little too basic for the pod. There's no such thing, by the way. You can ask whatever. We're in a championship game in two weeks. Congrats. Against a team that we played to and lost 12 to 2. Yes, it was ugly. It's seventh and eighth grade ball. It's going to be. In classic middle school fashion, they have an absolute unit at running back. 90% of their offense consists of running shotgun two by two and motioning one of the slots across the field. They're trying to run bubbles, flares, and sweeps, anything, basically anything outside. We run a 4-4 defense with primarily cover three spot drop. We mix some one concepts in as well. Any suggestions on shutting down an offense that wants to live in the flats? Thank you very much for the pod. It's been one of the best resources for my growth as a coach. Thank you. Well, thank you, Daniel, for saying that. Thank you for the kind words. And by the way, congrats to making the championship game. Let's see if we can help you out. Do you got anything you want to say first, Joseph? I mean, yeah, congratulations. And, and yeah, you know, I think you're doing everything right. I mean, they want to live out in, in the flats. They want to live out of space. They got a stud at running back. You know, it's a middle, to me, it's a middle field close. Uh, scenario and, and you, you got you're matching six guys six gaps in the box you're covered down outside you got curl flat players you got deep third players you have the change up in there with your cover one um, and you know you're living in you're living in a good world I think especially in the box uh, I know we run a we run some spread stuff and, and if a team is able to run middle field closed against us and they just match up right it's not easy for us you know we got to get into some more stacked wide receiver sets and some bunch stuff to try to get them into different spaces but i think you got all the right answers with what you're doing coach um you know that that that's my that's my thoughts on it that's you know i don't know what you think but i mean six guys six gaps inside he's covered down outside there's no reason to play split field coverage it's middle school football and not getting, you know, complex passing schemes. So I think you're doing the right things, coach. 
Yeah, good stuff. I will add that as I think more about this question, I had an answer in my head. And then I kind of, as I reread the question, thought about it some more. So this is not a fully formed idea. So go with me on this journey. So I don't know if you want to do this in both coverages. Um, I think it would be smart to not do it in both coverages. So I'm going to kind of throw this out there and coach, uh, Ferris, since you kicked my ass and not exactly two by two, but two by one FIB in motioning to the field in the 2019 playoffs, you can, you can laugh at me and call me a loser for this answer. But uh, my initial gut reaction is if you're going to play cover three, which I think is a good answer, slide the backers, keep your weak side rotation. I would slide the the strong backer out of the box because the problem is when they run the jet motion if they lead up on you in the alley there's a big asshole between the force defender and the guy in the box and the guy that would run that alley is your middle third safety so you got to bump right so what you would want to do is you basically want to bump to a one man it's a one man box or five man box one linebacker rather you need to get that second linebacker out of the box so I would play a three I would do that. Okay. Uh, and I would slide my my will to a 10 and I would bring my weak safety into a weak side force position. Because what you didn't say on your question is they didn't run any counters, which I'm sure every offense, and I don't mean counter tray, but counter plays like stretch weak off the zone, you know, something where they can run back. And obviously you're gonna you're gonna have to do that at some point if you're gonna run that shit. Unless you can just keep going outside. But even then, people get bored every once in a while. So I would bump in three, three uh, cover three, spot drop. And then in cover one, I would try and seesaw. So I'd spin it. So I would take my weak overhang, yep. and I'd run his ass to the middle of the field. And I would take my middle of the field safety, and I would run down, and he would cover the fly guy with outside leverage. And I would be heavy outside. Now, if they run the sweep... It's it's simple football, right? The guy coming down is going to take, basically, he's going to take the fly or the lead back. How Well, he would take the fly on pass, but he would fit off the lead back unless they get out of phase blocking-wise. So on some jet sweeps, when you get a lead play, the jet, especially if, you know, in middle school where the, the speed difference can be so large, that guy will start lead blocking for the sweep, and then the sweep guy just literally outruns his ass. So then you want to you want to force whatever the first threat is in the run game, and then let your backer track the back, right? Um, that way you can have outside leverage on everything. Turn it back inside and let the backers run. So that's how I would do it. First gut impression is I would spin again, bump in three deep, spin in one. And then I would also have a call where I would trigger your strong overhang on a blitz and spin yeah. strong. Now, if that's too much doing in, in middle school ball, completely understand. But I would have some sort of mechanism because fly sweep bubble teams, they have, and this is really going back to the two back fly offense. I don't know how much you play to that, Yosef. I'm talking about split backs, the old, um, Speckman offense, like the true split back mm -hmm. fly, like Buha uh, Colony did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every other Bay Area team did, like St. Ignatius for a while, Live Oak, whatever. 
the worst offense ever. Not the worst offense ever, the worst named offense ever, the Fleer, which was the fly and the veer. Every time I said that, I would just get angry. Oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're playing that sort of thing, they, they game plan for readers and screamers. So they're going to have plays built in if you're reading everything, and they're going to have plays built in if you're a blitz team. Meaning they're not going to try and influence your ass if you're a blitz team. Because if they try and run some, like, uh, U-Hawk Colony one time, they called it negative fly, or we called it negative fly, where they would run the fly, and then everybody else block counter. Well, when you had four coming from the field, <laughs> not a great call. That's that's a play you want to run versus people that are reading you and you can influence. So you have to have different ways to play if you're seeing that stuff. And you dictate. So even if it's something simple like, hey, I don't want to lose my edge by blitzing because I'm afraid if I blitz my overhang and then I rotate down to it, they, they could get a seam or whatever. You could just have your backers. Have your play cover three. Have your Mike backer, your strong side backer. He walks up off the edge and blitzes and your will kind of pushes strong. And you kind of bump a little bit like the cover three bump. But you bump just a little further and you void his own underneath. Just something to set that edge. And also, if you want to get even a little funkier, is have something where the DN comes up the field. We call it a high gear. Fly up the field to set the edge and then bring that, that blitzer underneath to really mess with the offense. So... Those are my, if we were talking at a higher level, I would talk about some 2D cheat trap coverages and stuff. You don't want to do that. Like Joseph said, you don't want to do that in middle school. Right. So that's, that's there. Yeah, I, yeah no, I agree. I agree hundred percent with that. that. That's kind of how we handle fly. We'll seesaw. We call it jackknife. Um, and then we'll either, we'll either blitz the front side guy and replace with the safety and replace the middle field. Um, Cause we match up obviously personnel with those hang defenders, but for sure, for sure. But I, I, I do think coaches on the right track doing six in the box and trying to cover down on the edge. That sounds like the Chili Pepper song, by the way. Do you remember that song where they're like, uh, jackknife, slingshot, <laughs> dot, dot. That's what it that sounds like our calls there is that song. Anyway, all right, moving on before I sing anymore or attempt or whatever. <laughs> all right, next question. Start with you, Dylan Minnick, defensive line coach at Twinsburg High School. In Twinsburg, Ohio, his Twitter handle is at Coach underscore Minick, M-I-N-I-C-K. I almost did Mickey Mouse right there. Oh, Mickey Mouse, you can tell where I'm from. His question is, what is your teaching progression for installing cover seven or any split field coverages? So for those of you who don't know, cover seven is the man match Sabre and stuff. That's what it's referred to most of the time, and I know it. that's what he's referring to because he's about to say it, but I know some people call cover seven different things. Are you installing quarters mod bracket first before cut slash two deep coverage or teaching them simultaneously slash half line, et cetera? When do you cover trips adjustments for each coverage? We obviously don't have spring ball in Ohio. So wondering the most efficient way to go. Thank you. So, you know, just getting it, getting it installed whenever you, whenever you get a chance in the summer or, you know, whatnot, but you need to have some meeting time. You know, we, we, we want to, we always, and I tell my coaches all the time, we want to attack the, the three uh, phases of learning, you know, audio, visual, and kinetic. So we want to, we want to get, them on, uh, get them in a meeting. We want to talk about it, show them it. Uh, we want to talk about it so they get the audio. We want to show them it. Uh, clips, examples, diagrams, so they get the visual aspect of the learning process. And then some type of walkthrough. I don't know if you have a, um, 
an athletic period coach where you can just walk them through there. You know, it doesn't have to be spring ball, so you're not breaking any rules. It's, it's just a class, and, and you can walk them through the coverages. Uh, once we've done that, then we want to go on the field. And, and you know, we established one two-by-two two coverage and one three-by-one coverage within that system, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we could install true quarters uh, with the, the hang defenders matching the flat. And, and, and then we can install robber coverage or solo coverage uh, to trips where we're robbing number three vertical. Uh, and then those will be the two that we focus on. And then we'll have two different types of passing sessions within our practice schedule. We'll have what we call three over two drill, where we got, you know, three defenders over two receivers to both sides. We're playing on a hash. We've got two quarterbacks throwing and it's split field coverage. So both sides uh, operate. Uh, independently, and so we have two quarterbacks throwing two concepts, making sure that we're not running two posts into each other or whatnot. But uh, you know, we get we get multiple reps that way, and we work our two by two uh, coverages, our two by two quarter stuff, and then we get into a trips deal where we're working just the trips concept, where we have you know some type of four over three uh, or some type of rob robbing vertical on the backside, uh, and then when that's happening, we'll take the other half of the corners and we'll work one-on-ones because they're typically one-on-ones and we'll work a mod technique or meg technique and they'll go separate from that session. And then they'll switch much like you would switch a quarterback from a, from an inside run to a passing period in an offensive session. We'll switch that backside corner uh, with the front side corner. So they're getting both works, but that's kind of how we go about it. We were going to install it first on the board and and, and through clips. uh, And then we'll walk through it. And then we'll go into practice and we'll do um, we'll do some type of three over two drill where we're working our two by two coverages and then some type of trips drill where we're working our three by one coverages. And then we just install each day uh, when we get into spring. So the next day we'll put in something new uh, for two by two and we'll put in something new for three by one. Uh, and then we try to get those all in so then we can revisit them and then just kind of each day we're installing some type of new coverage. Uh, and then we just, we, we, we revisit it once we've gone through our menu uh, through the first week or two of, of spring ball or first week or two of whenever we start practice. And then we just, we just fine tune everything and really do coaching on the film. We really watch film. We film every session and we really do the coaching on the film. Yeah. Great, great answer. We do the same thing. Um, said so we did, I'm not currently doing it, but Walk it, uh, or chalk it, talk it, walk it. Uh, I couldn't remember kinesthetic or how to say that. So no, I'm kidding, but <laughs> we do the same thing. Um, and then we were a TCU based install. So we did five days. You're a little different. So with your question, I'm going to kind of tweak it just a little bit to fit what we did. So day one for us was robber covered. So inverted halves. It's a little different than what Yosef calls it. But it's the old Virginia Tech, TCU, Don James, Jim Lambright, inverted halves, corners inside half, safeties playing quarters, outside backers dropping straight to the flat because you're opening the curl up for the safety. So we we thought in terms of technique. So the corner would learn how to bail, and then we would teach them how to play press for our cover one stuff. Um, the safeties learn robber technique, which is just like quarters. It's the same exact thing as quarters. Robber and quarters is the same thing for our safeties. The difference was alignment. So Robber, we taught it to a pro side, so a tight end a Z. So he'd be over the read side guard, but two vertical, I got him. Two's in, I'm looking to the dig. Two's out, I'm looking to one. Same thing. 
two blocks. I fit. You just your fit's different. Actually, your fit's the same. You're in the alley. And then against quarters, which is day two, he would just split the difference. Then our corner are learning how to bail for quarters and how to play. Uh, we would start playing palms on that day too because we already had bail with the first day. So we taught like the shuffle bail, not not a bail like you'd think where you turn and run. So the first day was turn and run and press. Second day was shuffle. And then day three was our two deep stuff. And we t- we called it five wall. So it's similar to cut except some of the exchanges if the back flares. We would push between the two backers or we would just leave the backer on the back and play three over two to the two receivers. That was our favorite way to do it. Um, and then... We would so we would go day by day like that, and then bracket for us. So your questions quarters mod for us is the same thing. The difference was we called four press. So in our system, uh, there were coverages and there were techniques, and you could play every technique with every coverage. I know that's different than a lot of defenses, but a lot of times when we put in coverages, we weren't even because everything was so siloed. We didn't really give a shit about the coverage. We taught by technique. So all right, corners, you're gonna learn press and bail today. Day two, you're going to learn how to shuffle. Day three, you're going to learn how to play catch, which is how we played. Catch man and cover two for us was the same thing in terms of the initial technique. Now, when you collision, that's a different story because that's when it changes. Is Now I collision, you know, and man, I got man and too deep. I got this, that, and the other, and I look all these different ways. Bracket was a down-the-road changeup for us, but that was really easy because we taught that in pieces. So for us, this is literally how I taught bracket. I'm going to take you through it right now. Corner, you've got one wherever he goes, just like cover one. Because we, we didn't cut, so just one thing. Our cover one, we didn't. Our corners weren't ratting and doing all that shit. We, we didn't have time for that. It was a changeup for us. We didn't deal with all that. We would just get out of hairy looks and just play cover one when we wanted to play cover one. Deep safety, you play cover four quarters. We called it blue. Backer. You're playing quarters. Nickel, you have number two man-to-man unless three flares, then you got him. That's it. So for us, bracket was mod. We didn't play it out of press, though, but it was the same rules. But we just told the nickel, you you stay on two. You don't just punch him and then sit there. So those were like tags. And then what we did is how we taught everything, just like Coach Ferris, half line, best drill in football, half line pass, if you put in two ends and work perimeter runs is the best drill in football, in my opinion. Then I was, mm-hmm. I've said that for 10 years and 10 years later, it's still undefeated in my book. So that's how we did it. And when you talk about, you know, you don't have spring ball. We had spring ball in California for a week, four days. Like we weren't in pads. We didn't get to be in pads until like day five of fall camp. So just do it a month later. I mean, I, I sounds like I'm being a jerk, but literally people would say, well, how do you do this? And I'd be like, well, we would just do whatever we would do in May and June, right? So, and then there's a lot of carryover too from now. Joseph's obviously in a different department because he's teaching a lot of young people that may have never played football before where, especially if it's a senior heavy group, we're not, we'll, we go through the install three times during the summer. So we install it for spring slash summer or when we were at Sarah and we had that month in May or that week in May, rather we would install it there, but we'd only saw one or two concepts Then beginning of summer. We would install it again. And then beginning of fall camp, we would install it again. Like they'd never heard it before. 
but we could blow through it faster. So we'd say, you know, when we were first installing a China call, this is what a China call is. Then, you know, the summer it'd be like, all right, China call, which is, by the way, one runs a hitch or goes inside. You make a China call, China, China, China. You look for two. So in the summer, it'd be like, hey, remember the China call? It's this. And then by the fall, it's China call. But I don't have to explain it anymore. So same install, just abbreviated. So that's how we did it. All right. We have two questions left. The first one's from Andre Brookings, Brookings rather, DEC and DB coach at Salem, Salem, Salem High School in Conyers, Georgia. His Twitter handle is at Coach Dre20. His question is When studying your next opponent, do you study film with your coaches and who do you have doing your hit charts each game? So, you know, I, I, I believe this, and this is kind of just me growing over the years. Um, from being a head coach and a defensive coordinator at the same time. I think it's very important for a head football coach to be a head football coach and to hire guys that, um, that, uh, that are better, better seasoned and understand what you want. And so I have a very good defensive coordinator, Justin Nast, who does a lot of, uh, a breakdown with the staff and whatnot and, and makes these hit charts and, um, that way I'm able to bounce from team, uh, from room to room, offense and defense, as well as be with the kids for weightlifting and lactic run. Uh, so <clears throat> I put a lot of the onus on my defensive coordinator. He does a lot of the work with the hit charts and those things and then presents them to me. And then I take those and I, I just, I just uh, kind of just go through it and, and, and see what I see as far as what's off of those hit charts. Um, but I think it's very important for a head football coach to, to trust his coordinators to do that job and to have coordinators that can do that job because of all the stuff you got to deal with as a head coach, it'd be hard to really split your attention because there's a lot of fires that, that happen when you're a head coach that you've got to really put your attention to. And sometimes it takes away from the X's and O's. Um, when I was a defensive coordinator, I would do a lot of the hit charts. I would do a lot of the breakdown. Uh, if I had a, if some assistants that were there with me that could, I felt could help, I would have them input data, and then we would talk about that as a staff. Um, but I think as a DC, it's an exp- it's a especially important that you understand out of what formations, what gaps they're trying to hit, so you can, you know, adjust your adjust your anchor points on the line or adjust your your coverages on, on what you're going to do uh, uh, going forward. Um, so as a defensive coordinator, I think it's very important that you do the hit charts, you do the breakdown. Uh, and you really understand them down and distance wise, but you can't have your, you do go over that with your staff and it's very important for your staff to be there and to give them some sweat equity into the game plan. Um, but at the end of the day, you need to know it and uh, like the back of your hand. So uh, I think it's very, very important that you you're heavily involved in that, that process. Um, so that's how, that's how I would answer that question. Uh, my answer is simple. I have ADHD and me watching film, especially the first time with anyone is a losing proposition, no matter what. So <laughs> I studied everything by myself and then we would either meet with the coaches and cross check what we saw either virtually or in person. Sarah was really weird about people meeting after a certain time on Sundays because the neighbors were a bunch of assholes. Uh, and I, it took me forever to game plan because of, like I just said, the ADHD. 
So there's really no point in getting together on Sundays. We had to get together on Sundays for those of you who are like, why didn't you get together on Saturday? Half our games were played on Saturday, so that was out. <laughs> we didn't even have the, ch- the choice if we wanted to, and it takes me forever to get through the stuff, so I wouldn't be ready to talk till Sunday evening anyway. By the time, especially we played on Saturday, by the time we broke down our game and fixed all that, most we played so many games where we would play on a Saturday and have to play on a Friday, and Monday was literally a waste because... By the time I really thoroughly uh, got through my game film, and because of that, I don't want to derail the conversation, but because of that, I wasn't super thorough in some of my game reviews because it was like, okay, we can talk about, especially if the offense wasn't matching what we were going to see. So we played a double wing team or a split back veer team, and we're about to play a spread team. Like how much carryover is there, right? So, right. you know, a lot of the times, like, you know, Patrick and I used to talk about this. He'd say, hey, I'd like to get grades. I'm like, dude, I, we've got a short week. I got to have something for you. I'm getting the film at 8 o'clock on a Saturday, getting down to it. And to, to start watching our previous game, you know, your brain's mush the day of the game. Like, even though we'd play at 2 o'clock, I wouldn't, my brain was so fried. I couldn't really do anything worth it. So I'd wake up Monday morning or Sunday morning and have to grade the game. And then you want a detailed grading process. And then a detailed game plan, be ready for practice. I'm going to eat stun enough hours in the day. So we did it all. And then I did my own hit charts. I learned through my hands and I do it old school. I print off a six box. I would be painstakingly detailed in how I ordered it to, to get the different flavors of the formations and how they lined up. And then I did it on my own because that's how I learned a game plan because not learned a game plan, but that's how I did my game plan. Because I'd look and I'd go, oh, shit, it's 11 personnel. Why off? Every time the backs to the tight end, they're running zone cut and uh, hard play action, you know, blocking with seven guys. Hey, they're split. The, the back's away from the tight end. Two by two in, three by one, and the Y is off. It's split zone or whatever. And that's how I would build my checks. I'd write down ideas and then go watch the film again and be like, well, that was horrible. Most of them would get crossed out, and then a few would be left that would be good. So... That was our process. Good question. All right, last question. I know Coaches has a big game coming up tomorrow. He's been so gracious with his time, so I want to get him out of here. This is a real interesting one. Last question from John Carlin, who's the DC and DB's coach at Utica High School in Utica, Michigan. His question is, we have finally started seeing teams running deep out corners with the number three receiver in stubby while running a vertical pushing route. I don't know what a ver- Oh, pushing. It's going deep with the two receiver taking the nickel vertical. What are your answers to handle that issue? Do you have something that you want to share? Or do you want me to go? Well, that's always the question in stubby and special, right? Is, is how do you handle number two vertical with that nickel player? Right? So, um, if I'm seeing a lot of that, I'm probably not in stubby. I'm probably in some type of special or, or, or even a vice uh, kind of deal where, where we're running special, but we're doing it with the safeties with the nickel over number number three. Um, but that's kind of you know that's kind of how we look at it. We, we we really don't like routes that push too vertical with our nickel and being in stubby or or stump or special whatever you guys are calling it. Um, we, we don't like that. Um, so we're going to try to do something to either get a safety over there, uh, to get a safety on top, and maybe play some different type of coverage. Um, 
or play a, a, an overload defense, something that looks kind of like middle field close, but really is 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 a match match type of defense, uh, just special or, or stubby with the safeties rolled down. So one thing that I would do is I would have the deep safety who would be the free safety for us because we played free and weak. He's keying three, but he's eyeballing two. So he's his primary key is three, but he's getting two within his vision. As two goes vertical, right? And three is vertical. I would sit my pedal down or I would stop my shuffle and be ready to break. Because what can the offense do if two is straight? You're saying straight vertical and three is also vertical right? They're going to run four verts. The third guy to stretch you horizontally has to come to you, right? Or go back, has to come away because you're the, you're the strong side. So he's going to start breaking away from you. But what I would do is I would, the first thing I would do is teach it as a read or a route read. So two and three are both vertical. I'm ready to sit down on three. Okay. What you can do to combat that, and we were actually talking about this in the pre-interview, is one thing that we would do in special, stubby, whatever you want to call it, is if we, I see, I, I'm different than Yosef. I like it if the nickel, that you know, takes two. That's why we're doing it. If, if two's not going vertical, we can play poach or solo or whatever you want to call it. But if they're all going vertical, I want to be in a situation where, that nickel's going to be on it. So um, what I would say is take the backside safety and have him key the quarterback, right? Why I would do that is if the quarterback's looking front side to throw that out, what you can do is you can have your weak safety run to the middle of the field to help on any kind of verticals for two or three if they try to run a post off of it. Because what I would be worried about isn't the vertical of two with the out of three. It would be the post of two, you know, they hit you with the out of three, you bite down, and then they switch to running a post on two and they get you one-on-one. -on -one. So that allows you, if you're like Coach Ferris, where you're not loving that matchup, you can run him to the middle of the field and help if two tries to run a post, which now allows you to play the nickel more outside. So now you can play your safety who's got three, you can play him more flat-footed. Because the problem isn't that he's running the out if it's quarters. Like, say say you're playing special, and this is one thing we did. We used to call it, I don't know if you could do it anymore, we called it special seal, and we got that from Coach Lechtenberg, where if it was three-by-one gun weak, we would play regular stubby or special, but if it was three-by-one gun strong, we would tell the nickel, listen, you got two all by yourself, and we may help you with a backside safety, but safety, free safety, you have three, and you're sitting flat-footed at 10 yards. Because that, then you take that away, right? But if you start sitting that guy down, what's going to happen? Is they're going to they're going to they're going to run quarters beaters, they're going to run post with it out, and they're going to throw the post over your head. So how do you combat that? You take the backside safety, and you solve the problem with the backside, not the front side. If you know you're getting that route and you're tight and you can't stop it doing things where you're taking stubby or special and modifying it or changing your read or matching your route differently, then I would get into cover one and play outside leverage on two and three, push everything back to the middle, and that can overplay the shit out of those outs. Or three buzz. It's, it fits the same way. So 
Those would be my answers. Don't always look at solving coverages, especially if you're playing special. Don't always try to solve it by changing the front side. Let the backside help you, which now allows you to stay in that coverage and just tweak it a little bit. So, because if you go poach, yeah, now you're screwed on RPOs and there's a whole, you open up a whole nother problem, right? So, that's my thoughts. That makes a ton of sense, you know, because when you get into special and, and, and our stubby and stuff, you kind of have your generic stuff you do backside, you know, you just sky or you're coning it, you know. Um, but I guess you could, like, the old, uh, or what Aranda calls Fox the Post, you could really Fox the Post with that back and the, really help yeah, out. That's another thing you could do. Now, how would you do that on a three by one? Well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm spitballing here. That's, you know, I, I just, I know that it's usually typically when you're, when your player can't go vertical, you want to fox the post. Um, but I guess you would have to man up the backside, play one-on-one -on -one back there. And then you would, you know, you could, you could basically kind of play a version of poach, but not really poaching, still playing stubby, but with just the extra guy backside helping out with three vertical. If they both go vertical, then you just push the sam the the strong side safety over. Yeah, uh, that's just kind of the thought that jumped. That's kind of the thoughts that jumped into my head while you were talking. Yeah. So what you could do is what coach is saying. You could pre-declare it, and what you'd basically do is you fox the post. So usually fox the post is out of three deep, but you could do it out of two high, which is just saying Nichols going to take two vertical outside. Free safety is going to play three vertical outside, and then you funnel anything back going to the to the uh, backside safety. Um, and then what you can do is if three starts to cross your face, the free safety, if he starts to come back to the three, you can now turn it into quarters late, which is a huge thing that NFL teams that are split safety coverages do. You know, if you're playing the Chiefs with Hill and Kelsey, and Hill and Kelsey are at the two and three, is what you end up doing is if they snap the ball and run an RPO, you, you're basically transitioning during the play from special to solo or poach. So what you do is, so because mm -hmm. you can't stop the RPOs if you play poach. If they run, you know, stretch weak and then throw three down the pipe, you're, you're screwed. Your weak safety's in conflict. So what you do is you start off on the ball snap, the nickel's matching two vertical, the, the free safety or strong safety, whatever you want to call them, is matching three vertical, and the backside safety is playing run first. But as the play progresses, basically it becomes what Coach says. So the, the free safety starts shuffling and almost knocks number three back to the backside safety, and then he overtakes too vertical. Now, again, everything has the strengths as weaknesses. So if you're seeing um, certain route combinations, that they have a really good X, that may be problematic. Um, right. You know, if they're play act, hard play action might screw you up. So you got to be careful with that. And especially at the high school level, that could be dicey. But those are some different answers to tweak a coverage that you're running. Because it's really easy to be like, well, don't run that coverage. And there's certain things where like, that is the only answer. Like, hey, I'm getting stretch weak and three down the pipe off an RPO. How should I play, you know, poach or robber, solo, whatever you want to call it? The answer is don't. I got nothing for you, but, or get in tight front, you know, and, and get an extra half a man to the boundary. In this situation, you can tweak the coverage to, to 
to be good against all the things you needed to be good versus, but also take care of any weaknesses. So those are my final thoughts. Coach, anything to add there? Yeah, no, no, that's good. That was a good question. Yeah, great stuff. Late submission. Usually uh, that late in the cycle, getting the podcast ready and everything, I don't know if I necessarily get to it, but you got it in on time, and I'm glad you did, John. Thank you. All right, Coach. Well, thank you so much for your time. Good luck the rest of the season. I appreciate you very much taking your time out of your schedule. I know you got a big game this weekend, so I really, really appreciate you. Thank you, Vass. You know, I really appreciate you and everything you do for high school sports. I know everybody in this area, they kind of come asking me what, what they can do to get better on defense. And the first thing I do is point them to your podcast and what you do for high school sports and especially the defensive guys. This is a tremendous deal. So thank you. I appreciate that, man. Just don't tell the guys in Clovis that they may stab you or something. <laughs> I'll, I'll pick I'll make sure I don't let those guys know. They'll be like, who did you say? And then the pitchforks come out. (laughs) All right, my man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it.